Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on November 4th, 2022 from A.T. Shire's home. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features the latest on how the U.S. Supreme Court cleared the way for Senator Lindsey Graham to testify for a special grand jury in Georgia. And we have an extended recap of the only state superintendent of education debate. Additionally, we want to hear your stories. Tell us how you're gearing up for the holidays. If you've gotten sick from flu or COVID, tell us your thoughts on the 2022 races. Have you early voted? Tell us about your experience and anything else you're thinking about. You can give us a ring at 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on in your world. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is low according to county-level data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. For the week ending October 29th, DHEC reported 3,459 cases. That's up 13% week over week and six deaths. On average, 221 South Carolinians were hospitalized with COVID-19, 31 were in intensive care, and 11 were on ventilators. Right now, 53.4% of eligible South Carolinians are fully vaccinated. Also, y'all, our flu season is off to a brutal start. For the week ending October 29th, there were 3,500 confirmed flu cases, 251 people were hospitalized, and three people have died. We're talking about for that week alone. Health officials are urging South Carolinians to get a free flu shot at providers or health clinics statewide. Cover your cough and your sneeze, wash your hands, stay home if you're sick, wash your hands, clean frequently touched surfaces, and again, I don't think I've mentioned this yet, but please clean your hands, wash them. Your fingers are grubby and disgusting, but so are mine. Before we get into the superintendent of education debate, some other big news this week was out of Washington involving Senator Lindsey Graham and the ongoing fight over his appearance before a special grand jury in Georgia as part of an ongoing investigation into possible 2020 election interference. The AP reports that the U.S. Supreme Court lifted a temporary hold on Graham's appearance before a special grand jury now scheduled for November 17th. But in an unsigned order, the justices noted that Graham still could raise objections to certain questions. Graham said in a statement that, quote, Today, the Supreme Court confirmed that the Constitution's speech or debate clause applies here. They also affirmed that Senator Graham may return to the district court if the district attorney tries to ask questions about his constitutionally protected activities. The senator's legal team intends to engage with the district attorney's office on next steps to ensure respect for this constitutional immunity. Quote, Moving on, on Wednesday evening, SCETV, in partnership with South Carolina Public Radio and the Post and Courier, hosted the only televised state superintendent of education debate. Democrat Lisa Ellis and Republican Ellen Weaver are vying to replace outgoing two-term superintendent Molly Spearman, to lead the state's 777,000 students and 54,700 teachers. Now, you guys always talk about how much you love these long clips, and I'm going to push it again this time, so I hope everyone's ready for it. 
Now I open up questioning by asking about qualifications and experience for the office, since that has been a hot topic in the race, especially with Republican Ellen Weaver getting a master's degree, a requirement to hold the office, in just six months from Bob Jones University. Here's what they said, and just so you know, you'll hear me and Shauna Adcox with the Post and Courier asking a few questions in this 13-minute clip. Well, this job is all about executive leadership. Um, while I greatly value the expertise and calling of our teachers in the classroom, this is a management role of a multi-billion dollar state agency with over a thousand employees. And so that leadership experience that I have had in managing large budgets and staffs, founding a nonprofit and serving in education policy on the Education Oversight Committee has given me a front row seat to understand the challenges that our education system faces, as well as the opportunities that are before us as a state. I truly believe that being totally transparent and rebuilding trust, we can work together to make South Carolina the greatest education system in the country, where again, every student has the opportunity to reach their full God-given potential. Ms. Ellis, tell us more about your qualifications and your background to lead South Carolina schools. Uh, I'm a teacher. Um, teachers are natural problem solvers. When I think about the decisions that I have to make daily in the classroom for my students, it is ones where we deal with effective communication, critical thinking, um, and all of those uh, important characteristics that come with it. My experience as director of student activities has been handling budgets. What I have seen through my 22 year um, experience in the classroom is the fact that what's happening in the policy level is not helping students and teachers down in the trenches or in the classrooms. And so I believe that the teacher voice, understanding what is really going on in schools and how best to fix that needs to come up to the policy level. You know, with that, with bringing all of our stakeholders to the table, including our teachers, our superintendents, our parents, our students, that's how we can really solve our problems in public education. But we have to be willing to listen to what actually the problems are and not what some people think that the problems are. Miss mm -hmm. uh, Ellis, this next question is for you. This school year, the state budget sets minimum pay for a first year teacher at $40,000. That's $10,000 higher than six years ago. How much higher should it be to attract and retain more teachers? And how will you persuade legislators to fund your proposal? Um, I think that it's important to understand that while setting the minimum teacher salary schedule up to 40,000 and adjusting it does not mean that teachers saw a $4,000 salary increase this year. For example, I saw 1,700, which equates to $11 a paycheck. Just to give you an idea of what that looks like, our school cafeteria, my lunch um, salad costs $6. So I think it's important for us to understand that when we talk about increasing the salaries, that not all teachers have seen that um, over the policy. I, you know, I think that we have to really look at compensating our teachers and comparing the compensation for their professional degrees against all industries. We're no longer competing against other education. We're competing against all um, jobs that exist out there. And so if you want to make it competitive, you have to look outside of education and look at it that way. For example, a teacher who majors in chemistry can go and be a chemistry teacher, or they can go and work for a pharmaceutical company and make twice as much. So you've got to look at attracting your best and brightest by paying for it. 
over the last four years, we've had the enough budget surplus to be able to solve that problem, and yet the General Assembly has chosen not to. So I think that we have to encourage, if we want to retain and recruit teachers that are great and really there for our students, we have to stop looking at the way that we've always, always done it and look at how we um, you know, make, move forward. Uh, Ms. Weaver, to you about teacher pay. Gavin, that's a, a great question. And I think you hit on a really critical point, which is we can talk about the problems. And my opponent has rightly identified many of the challenges that our classroom teachers face as a classroom teacher. But talking about the problems is not the same thing as solving them. You have to actually be able to work with the General Assembly, with the governor, with superintendents and parents and educators around the state in order to actually get anything done. I have spent the last 10 years of my life building trusted relationships with the leaders in the General Assembly who are the ones who run this state and who hold the purse strings and who are going to be the final deciders of whatever we do in education policy, including teacher salaries. I, super, as superintendent, I would like to see us get our teacher salaries raised up, not just to the southeastern average, which is where we currently are, but to the national average over the next five years. And one of the ways that I'm going to do that is to find savings in our current education budget. People ask me all the time, Ellen, is education in South Carolina underfunded, and I have to say, no, it's misfunded. In the conversations that I've had with teachers across this state, they tell me about books that are sitting in uh, closets that have been unopened, technology that's not being used. We know that there is so much waste and inefficiency within the system, and as the state superintendent of education, I'll start by getting my own house in order at the State Department of Education, top to bottom audit to understand how money is currently being spent, where we can find savings so that we, we can return that money to the classroom to support our students and our teachers. National assessments known as the nation's report card, which I'm sure you know very much about, um, uh, show that we haven't backslid in South Carolina like other states have. However, we're not, that doesn't mean we're doing well. Uh, state scores show that less than half of our third through eighth graders can read on grade level. Nearly 70% can't do grade level math in eighth grade. What do we need to do to make the kind of giant leaps in performance that we need to do? I, th I think that, you know, when we're looking at assessments, I think that, that Nate, the national assessment is the one we have to look at because that's comparing apples to apples. I think when we look at other assessments, you can't make the, the, the leap that we're failing. Having said that, if you really want to move students, particularly starting at the third grade, you've got to make sure that you have high quality teachers in the classroom and that you've got small class sizes in the K through three. Um, if you think that a first grade teacher can teach 30 first graders who are six, seven years old how to read, you're out of your mind. You've got to get those class sizes down and allow that teacher to focus on all of the teaching tools that she or he has in their toolbox to help those students read. And that's going to look different depending on the student, which is why that smaller class size is so important. Um, you know, when we think about teaching um, kids, they, they learn to read from K through second grade and then third grade, they read to learn. So if we can get them reading in those early grades, then we automatically lift them up through the rest of their, um, uh, their K through 12 career. But nothing else is going to work until you get high quality teachers in there and you let them do their job and you decrease those class sizes. Ms. Weaver. 
Well, um, let me go back and just address something about the Education Oversight Committee that I'm actually very proud of in terms of getting the teacher voice into the classroom we or into the policy discussion in Columbia. At the EOC, we have been advocating and recommending for over five years now that we do a statewide anonymous survey with teachers um, to understand the school climate that is happening in our local schools. And I'm proud to say that the General Assembly adopted that recommendation this year in the state budget. And so that is something that will be happening here in South Carolina going forward. And again, it's a critical way that we're going to engage the teacher voice in policy discussions in South Carolina. Now to the question of NAEP. Thankfully, we did not see the same kind of dramatic drops in our test scores like we did nationwide, but we know nationwide we saw the largest decline in math. I think one of the reasons why we did fare better here in South Carolina is that Governor McMaster and the General Assembly pushed to reopen our schools sooner. And that was something that my opponent sadly opposed. Um, at the behest of the National Union, Science was politicized. The CDC recommended keeping schools closed far longer than they needed to be. And so I'm very glad that here in South Carolina, we did reopen schools sooner. How do we address the problems that we have in South Carolina that existed even before COVID? It really starts with getting back to the basics. Um, early literacy is absolutely critical and will be my number one academic priority as state superintendent. We have got to get back to teaching the proven science of reading. And we also know that in-class in high-dose tutoring is also very helpful. And so we need an army of mentors and tutors in our schools to support our teachers. Thank you, Ms. Weaver. Ms. Ellis, did you have a rebuttal to that? I do, yes. Um, <laughs> So many things to rebut. Um, I think first and foremost, you don't need to create a task force to find out why teachers are leaving. We've been telling you, I know for at least four years and for longer than that. All you gotta do is actually listen to them. Um, as far as you know, students not falling as far behind, that was because of our teachers and our schools. Hands down, our teachers rocked it in adverse circumstances and doing the best that they could for the students in really, really terrible predicaments. Just worried for their student safety and health, worried for their own safety and health. And so I don't, you know, I don't discount the fact that we actually followed the, the science to do what was best for our students and our schools. And, and that is something that I will stand behind. Um, and while we were doing that, schools were never closed. It looked different, whether it was virtual or whether it was, um, you know, in person and face to face. But those are issues that that really helped our students be successful. Thank you, Ms. Ellis. Yeah. Uh, Sean. Um, one of the hot button issues out there is uh, what's broadly referred to as critical race theory. And state law already bans it through budget provisos in terms of the concept but it's still uh, very hotly debated. How do you define critical race theory or CRT? Is it a problem in our schools? And um, or, or are you concerned that the debate itself will stifle what kids need to learn in history? Yeah, again, I think this is one of those issues that is not an actual problem. I tell people it's chasing ghosts. We're chasing issues that don't exist in order to, um, you know, sort of hide the actual issues that we're dealing with. Critical race theory, the actual theory, um, looks through, through how our, our country has developed through you know, the lens of, of keeping minorities down. That is not what is in any of the state standards that our teachers teach, K through 12. Our teachers you know, focus on teaching our state standards, which are approved um, by ultimately by the Education Oversight Committee and are open to public forum for comment. Um, you know, it, so if we're, but if we're talking about 
what is in the best interest of our students. Our students need to be taught all of history. They need to be taught all of the perspectives. Again, going back to preparing our students for a life that exists out of K through 12, we need to make sure that they have all of the information and all of the truths, regardless of how that um, comes off. And that way they can then think critically and make sure that they have all of the information. Again, learning in a safe space, which is a teacher's classroom, gives students the opportunity to ask questions, to be curious and to make those decisions. But we have to be willing to give that comprehensive education. Going back real quick, just to address the school choice, um, we do have school choice for families in the state who have the economic means, such as my opponent's parents did, to send her to one of the most exclusive private schools in the state. Or you could move into a great neighborhood that has a wonderful public school in it. But unfortunately, that's not the reality of the vast majority of people in this state. And so I feel like it's a little out of touch to say we have school choice when only certain people in our state have school choice. Secondly, about the issue of CRT. CRT really has become a catch-all term for a much larger um, woke ideology that we have seen in our colleges of higher education for decades. And so we certainly now see it seeping down into K-12 schools. There are multiple examples that I have heard from both parents and teachers in this state about it being in the classroom and about it being in the professional development that is being forced on our teachers. And so when I talk about standing up against woke ideology in our public schools and using our schools for education, not indoctrination, I'm bent on determining or on standing up for our teachers, not just for our students, because I think the vast majority of teachers in this state want to truly educate their children in the way their children need to be educated. Um, you know, I do think that there is a very pernicious ideology that's out there in works like uh, Kimberly Crenshaw and Ibram X. Kendi, who claim that the only way that we can fight racism is by being racist. I just think that's fundamentally wrong. I think any ideology that determines a child's value um, or whether they are an oppressor or a victim by the color of their skin, as Senator Tim Scott has said, is just simply wrong. We've got to bring Thank people together, not pull them further apart. And just to clarify on CRT there at the end, in June 2021, State Superintendent Molly Spearman said in a statement, quote, the critical race theory ideology has no place in South Carolina schools and classrooms. The South Carolina Department of Education has no current or proposed standards that include CRT concepts. It will not be adopting any CRT standards, nor applying for or accepting any funding that requires or incentivizes the adoption of these concepts in our classrooms. We will not provide professional development opportunities or training that seeks to promote CRT amongst South Carolina educators, quote. Now, if you're listening today, Saturday, November 5th, this is your last day to early vote. So find your early voting location, or if you're going to vote on election day, you can also find your actual precinct. You can find a sample ballot, what you need to bring to the polls, which is a valid photo ID, and everything else you need to know about voting in South Carolina by going to scvotes.gov. It's all right there, including election results, which we'll have Tuesday night. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and we want to hear your stories as well. You heard me at the top, unless you skipped through, in which case stop doing that. Rude. Rude. There's important Rude. announcements up there. Oh, I forgot to mention that we're live Tuesday night, 8 to 10 o'clock on ETV and South Carolina Public Radio. 
Come Election on. Election night coverage. It's going to be so much fun. you got to tune in, guys. Personally, I won't be there, folks. So I know that's not a big draw. But you'll for be you watching. I'll be watching. You'll just, be saying, look at him. There he is. Just like I do for all the, the debates. I just watch, watch my little boy on the screen. Watcher. And I go, I know that guy. There he is. There he is. I know him. There he is. Me and Richard Blade. We were there. <laughs> well, you, of course I was there. Anyway, Gavin, uh, we already ruined the top here yeah uh, you know they I, want a little break from the from the rick and marole rigmarole rick and roll not ricks um i do love that we i mean everyone says they like long clips they we're, love the long clips we're really testing you with this 13 minute sucker here, i should just okay? put the whole debate in there and i mean i think that would be funny honestly to just drop a whole debate in there um so uh well, we're going to move from one long clip to I've, I've been banking these longer calls here and I've been promising to get them in. And, and you know what? It, we're going to do it. OK, <gasps> we're not doing all it's not. We're not double dipping. Uh, we're just single dipping here. Okay? OK, so uh, we got one long clip. It's been a while. We're a little late. Not a month yet. <laughs> oh, Lord. But so we had a debate recap and this one came in after a previous debate. So it sort of fits, right? Mm hmm. Okay, so you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. Hey, Gavin. Hey, AT. This is Daniel from Somerville. I don't normally call back-to-back uh, -back so quickly, but there were three pressing things that I felt uh, y'all should know uh, on the lead. Um, first, felt kind of obligated with uh, y'all airing the last voicemail to report back on our road trip. We had a fantastic time with friends and family in the Midwest, and uh, for anyone going to especially Fort Worth uh, or Norman, Oklahoma, uh, we felt that we should make the recommendations to visit the Kimball Art Museum in Fort Worth. That was a spectacular and fun uh, time, lots of great art and history there. Uh, also, the library at the University of Oklahoma was an unexpectedly uh, exciting um, adventure that we enjoyed. Uh, they don't make buildings like that anymore. I thought that was really cool. Uh, second, had to call and give a strong endorsement for the South of Spooky podcast. Loved the Gray Man of Polly's Island episode and can't wait to see what future ghostly stories y'all roll out with that. Uh, looks like from some of your suggestions that you're already uh, well on the way on the website with some of the other big stories out there like the Lizard Man and um, some of the um, ghosts up at Poinsett Bridge and the upstate. So really excited to see what that um, develops into and would say if you don't have Strawberry Chapel down in Monk's Corner on your list or the Wampee House on Lake Moultrie, uh, y'all should add those to your lists. Uh, growing up in Monk's Corner, we had uh, lots of stories from uh, my high school friends of uh, interesting ghostly encounters at both of those locations at Strawberry Chapel and the Wampee House. Um, so excited to see that go uh, forward. And also um, just finished watching the Lieutenant Governor debate that Gavin uh, helped moderate. Very well done uh, and congratulations on getting through that. But I have a very pressing question for Gavin uh, on that debate. Um, were you wearing socks? I got a couple of views from uh, the camera from behind the moderator's podium, and it looked to me like you were possibly wearing loafers with no socks or some kind of slipper. I was just wondering, uh, I've noticed this actually with several other business uh, individuals that I've um, run into recently, 
that um, socks just seem to be an optional thing now with business attire. Is this just a passing fad or is it a new standard of uh, business professionalism? I would love for other lead listeners to weigh in on socks or no socks and uh, just help us figure out you know, what we need to do moving forward to look our best. Daniel from Somerville, thank you for calling again. I hope you enjoyed all those other South of Spooky episodes that have dropped since you called. Oh, yeah. Including, we, we covered the ones that you listed, but I'll, um, but we'll definitely put the Strawberry Chapel and the Wampy House on our list for things to check out for next season. Yeah, we always need more. If anyone has any suggestions, don't hesitate yes, to send them in. Give us because a shout, please. We did not grow up here, so we need everyone that listens that did grow up here that has a spooky place in their town. Let us know so we can go and do our blood rituals and all whatever, you know. You didn't, know, we, you didn't, know. we didn't grow up here, but we're growing old here. Oh, yes. We, <laughs> I always say that I like South Carolina Sorry, I was more. Sorry, Nicholas Sparks book. What's going on? <laughs> I always tell my friends that I like South Carolina more than them, even though they grew up here, because I chose to God move here. God bless. That's the <laughs> truth. You know, you can't pick your family, but you can pick your home. Anyway, uh, I'm glad we got those suggestions from your Midwest yes. trip there. And thanks for the kind words on the debate, too. I'm, I'm assuming you probably have high praise for the other two debates I did because I feel like I did just a good job, too. You did. You did, did a great job. job. Hey, you know, you know why? You because I did not cover my feet yes. in socks. Gavin feels very strongly <laughs> about this, Daniel. He was ecstatic that you called in and wanted to talk about him not wearing socks because he's got feelings and opinions. And it, as a man who doesn't have as many hot takes as I do, <laughs> and that's a brag up for me, um, it, he has them on this. So, Gavin, you have the floor. Well, you just know that the shoe, I mean, my God, your poor foot's in a boot. You just know that any footwear is a prison for the foot. I'm I'm in super double ultra prison, literally. So, so I mean, if I could wear flip-flops every day, I, I would. But mm-hmm. I can't because I'm a professional. So the next best thing is, you know, sliders, loafers, what have you. So I'm, you know, I, I'd like my working parents out there, even though I'm I'm not a parent, though I am working. Some I'm could still say that busy. you're you're the podcast's papa. <laughs> this podcast is your is your child. I worry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, keep going. And um, but so I'm getting ready in the mornings. I like being able to put my my pants on one leg at a time, like everyone else. You uh-huh. know, I'm, I'm you know like anyone else. But when I put them on, I'm I'm putting my foot in the in the loafer at the same time and getting that in there. Like I don't have time to. And you you go you bend go sh- down and tie a shoe and put a sock on. Like oh my god. You go well, shoes first, then pants, right? <laughs> oh yeah, like, like everyone else, right? <laughs> just like everyone else. No, I just um I don't enjoy it, especially in the summer months too. Woo, like putting a sock on during the summer mm. in, in a suit, like mm, mm. you got to be paying me and they're, they're, not, they're not paying me enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I do occasionally wear socks, you know, more in the winter time. A little bit. It's Sometimes, rare. Yeah, it's I, I, rare. I always pick up on it. Just like Daniel picked up on you not wearing it. I'm the other way. I'm like, Oh, you got a sock on? Yeah. <laughs> Is everything okay? <laughs> yeah. What's going on here? Or usually I'm wearing like um, dress shoes, like loafers, or sometimes mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be doing an interview with someone and I really don't want to be, you know, because there's judgment. I'm going to go ahead and say sure. there's judgment. 
I remember I didn't wear socks during my interview to the Post and Courier, and there was talk. I heard about it. <laughs> there was chatter. There was a <laughs> lot of chatter. They were just wondering chatter. why you weren't wearing socks. I don't know. You guys are in Charleston, and you're telling me you're shocked by my ankles? Come yeah. on. Everything is... Oh, any level layer of clothes hey, is disgusting. Long story short, long, I got, the, <laughs> I got the job. Okay. They're like, oh, this guy This guy is what we need. He's a free he thinker. He doesn't care. He He's a free ankle. thinker. And one time in the state Senate antechamber, uh, a senator, uh, John Corson who was forced out due to his, um, you know, issues with corruption, had a, he walked past me and, and saw my ankles. He was like, do you need to borrow a pair of socks? I got some in my car. I'm like, no, thank you, Senator. I, I, don't, I don't want to be looped into this one. I am sort of the opposite. I'm a big sock guy. Um, I'm not a sweaty man. I want that on the record. Mm. Uh, but the one part of my body that does Lebanese. sweat. That's your Lebanese blood. Yes, I'm built for the heat. Um, <laughs> So I hate the outdoors. The one, the one part of my body that does sweat <laughs> is my feet. Oh, so the socks wick it away a little bit. So I do have them on constantly. So it's more of a, it's more of a protective. Sure, article it, of it's protection for the rest of the world. You yeah. always sweat on your feet. Yeah, it's weird. Only feet. Nowhere else. Like if it's ninety-eight degrees outside, I'm probably not going to be sweating. Except the bottom of my feet might be a little wet. Oh my God. Yeah. I also, I also, I'm and sweating right now. Meg Kennard can attest to this. My feet don't smell. Okay. They do not give, smell. You're going to have to give context for the people that don't <laughs> They know just don't smell. Why would Meg be able to validate those? Because she put my crock on once and she said. At the live taping in some term. Exactly. She put a crock and she goes, AT, you know what? I'm going to do this just because I think you have clean feet. And I said, my feet don't smell. Take a whiff. And sh she smelled my shoe. Oh my it God. did not smell. Of all the things to happen in a bar in Sumter. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was a lot of personal information. Yeah. Uh, I got great news from the doctor today. Oh. So I'm riding high, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope your weekends are as good as mine. The Eagles won, the Phillies lost. Go, birds. We're splitting it here. Love but it. we are talking about the fightings and we need them to win this week. I'm going to be spending this weekend on the campaign show, but that's uh, okay. Blah, it's okay. Blah. <laughs> Sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thank but you for also, listening. Yes. I want to get another programming note. Tune in, ETV, Tuesday night, election night. We'll be giving you two hours of commercial-free broadcast coverage, mm. reporting in the field with some reporters, and analysis oh. in studio. Mm. It's going to be a great time. No one else is bringing that kind of coverage. You're not going to you see this watch, kind of analysis anywhere else. You can't see it anywhere else. Um <laughs> If you can't watch, you can listen to it on South Carolina, Carolina Public, Public Radio. Radio stations. Yes, Mark's absolutely. YouTube, the internet, that's Facebook, on the internet. Yeah. Um, everywhere. So, uh, give us a shout. We'll be up. We'll be watching. Uh, yeah. Well, hit him with those credits, old Gabby boy. Go. Oh, oh of course. Oh, podcast just, uh, daddy. <laughs> Go off, King. You know. <laughs> podcast, Bobby. Again, thanks to you all for listening. Be like Daniel and show us some appreciation by giving us a call at 803-563-7169. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. And if you haven't listened to South of Spooky yet, it's out there, folks. We got one more episode left, and it's a doozy. But catch up. We know you're going to love them. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Yeah, but now it's this place. Ooh, chic. chic. Cray chic. 
Whoa, am I, 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 am I in Cabo Tulum? 